this thing started. Recording has begun. What is it? January 20, 2019. Uh, first session membership class for Mercy Hill Church. And so in your notes, if you can turn to that first page, Why Church Membership? And then we'll begin uh, at that uh, point. And so here we go. Um, so a lot of Christians actually encounter a lot of Christians that just wonder about this church membership thing. Like, what's the point? I don't see it outright in scripture that, you know, thou shalt become a church member and take a membership class like this one. And so this is really to uh, emphasize why. And the first point there is that if you're not yet a Christian, we want to help persuade you to become one. That's number one. If you're not yet a Christian, uh, we want to help persu persuade you to become one. We never assume uh, that simply uh, if a person shows up at a church that they are a Christian. Sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. Sometimes they think they are, but truly maybe they're not a, a Christian. And so that's what we want to do in this class is really eliminate the mystery about what it is to be a follower of Jesus. Uh, secondly, it's a biblical idea. Believe it or not, church membership, we actually find it in the New Testament. It's a biblical idea. And I'll just read the bullet there. While we do not find 100% super clear Bible verses like thou shalt become a church member and take a class uh, for a local church membership, we do find passages that strongly, here's the blank, imply formal membership in a local church. We find several passages that strongly imply some sort of formal membership in a local church. And underneath that are the four examples that imply uh, membership in a church, and I won't go through those, okay? Um, so I'll let you read those on your own. And it's actually is talked about in the New Testament of the, of the Bible. So it's a biblical idea. That's why we do Bible things by Bible ways. That's kind of our model here as a church. Third reason why we do church membership is simply because we believe it's healthy. It's a healthy thing to do. It's actually beneficial for you, the leadership team, and the church family itself. Uh, it's healthy, beneficial for you, the leadership, and the church. I remember a friend of mine at the first, uh, or actually second church I was a part, church plant I was a part of in Mississauga, Ontario. His name uh, it was Chris Canhai, and he became uh, the godfather. Godfather has all kinds of connotation, doesn't it? Uh, he, he wasn't Italian, not that it, <laughs> any of nothing wrong with being Italian, uh, but it wasn't like a mob sort of thing. Um, but, uh, uh, was actually born and raised in Trinidad, Tobago. And uh, anyhow, he and his family were coming to our church. They got a postcard, came to our church for a couple of years. And he had kind of been on the fence. I think he assumed he was a Christian. Anyhow, he came to the church membership class because I, I somehow convinced him, maybe strong-hearted him, convinced him to come to the class and just check things out. And he came, and it was only then that he had clarified what it is to be a Christian and what some of the expectations of what it is to be a member of a church, everything clicked and came together. And the Holy Spirit got a hold of his life and his life was instantly transformed. And his family was like, what happened to my husband and our father? He is different. And it all started with the church membership class. And so it was very beneficial for him and his family. Um, but there's the other side of it too. Um, you may have heard of something called pastor burnout and it's a real issue. And there's some arguments about whether this, you know how studies go, you know, we got to study for everything. Um, but there is, there's been a few studies out and one in particular that found the average tenure or the average length of time for the average senior pastor in North America is, is only a year and a half, 18 months, because there's so much pressure. And 
you know, a lot of churches kind of see a, a pastor as he's the hired hand. We pay him. He does the ministry. We sit back and we judge. <laughs> you did a terrible job preaching today. You know, we don't like your style and you make too many jokes about bacon. Get out of here. Um, and so we're trying to emphasize it's beneficial. Church membership is beneficial for a pastor or a leadership team because it's have you heard of the rock up a hill analogy? If you're pushing a giant rock up a hill by yourself, up a mountain, can you do that? No. no. It takes a team of people. You know, the mission of Jesus in our culture, that's very anti-Christian. It feels like you're pushing a rock up a hill sometimes. And you can only do that successfully if there's a whole team behind that rock, not just the pastor or the elders or the deacons or deaconesses. Everybody, church members working together uh, toward the mission of Jesus. Um, so that's that's what we're trying to do. It's healthy, beneficial for you. And for the leadership and the church family itself. Next thing in your notes is we're trying to work against and guard against the problem. Have you heard of church shopping before? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> gotcha. All right. There, it's, it's out there. Yeah, it's a thing. And, you know, there's a few options out there in our own city. And uh, I, I'll never forget a few years ago at our other school. Like this is going back a, a number of years. And in the early years, we had a lot of newcomers. And that's very often the thing that you'll see with new churches. They tend to attract a lot of newcomers and a lot of even non-Christian people. Uh, but there was a couple of people that came up to me after one Easter Sunday. And we had a, a more than usual high number of newcomers. Okay, And they came up to me and I said, oh, hey, great to have you here. You know, this is what pastors do. Hey, great to have you here. And, uh, and I said, well, how'd you find out about our church? And they said, here's what we do every Sunday. And so it was two friends. Every Sunday at that time, there wasn't a smartphone thing, right? And they, they would sit down in front of their laptop or their desktop computer. They would Google churches in Surrey. They would then click, then close their eyes and point to the screen. And that's the church they would go to. I don't know how that worked exactly, but that was, it was like church roulette. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Spin the gun and bam, that's where we're going to go. And I was just, that's amazing. I don't know what I said. I hope I didn't sound judgmental or... That's a crazy idea. What are you doing? Um, but they thought that that was okay. And the downside of that, and people will make their own decisions, so who, who am I? But scripturally, that we don't see that pattern, first of all. But secondly, you got to ask, can, how can they build meaningful uh, relationships with others, other Christians, to help them grow in Christ? Like That's what a church family is for, building relationships so that we can together grow into the likeness of Jesus. And you can't do that if you're going to do this, this church this Sunday, then the village next Sunday, and then this church the next Sunday, you know. So there's one more. I want you to write this in. Five, number five reason for why there's church membership. And uh, there's a legal aspect. That's all it is. Just a legal aspect. So number four is it helps you guard against the problem of church hopping. And then number five is the legal aspect. Church hopping? Yeah. Shopping? Yeah, hopping or shopping. Hopping, yeah, shopping. I guess I, I connected Easter with an Easter bunny and then church <laughs> hopping. I don't know. It probably should be shopping. Shopping. And legal aspect. Yeah, then there's a legal aspect. So believe it or not, uh, like to become a, a BC Society and a char registered charity in Canada, there has to be some distinction for who's a member and who is oh, not to be legal okay and so there is that aspect that's not that's not the big main reason yeah but it's just let's like that's why we're tagging it on the bottom yeah. but also making that clear as well uh, so there is that aspect to it um so anyhow so we don't th think that that cancels out 
the biblical side of things for church membership. So anyhow, all that to say, glad you're here. Thanks for taking the class. Thanks for uh, going through some of those reasons for why there's church membership. I, I recycle paper, so just ignore this. This is some sort of Christmas flyer that we put out a few years ago. And uh, so now we're getting into session one, which is all about the gospel. Like I mentioned before, we take nothing we, we try to assume nothing because you know what assumptions do. And uh, we want to clarify <laughs> what it is to be a Christian. And the starting point for understanding what it is to be a Christian is to look at and examine what is known as the gospel. Now, I'm trying to remember. There is a probably, if you run into something that I'm teaching that isn't in your notes, please stop me. There might be something in here that could be along those lines. Um, and so... Something in this session doesn't add up and is not totally simpatico. Um, but anyhow, let's begin with the gospel. And so here we go. Now, again, this is going to be like water from a fire hydrant. So hang in there. If I'm missing a blank or not telling you what the blank is, please stop me. I would rather have you have the information than not. So gospel is simply an ancient transliterated Greek word that means good news. It means uh, good news. And so they would actually use something that would sound like gospel in ancient Greek language. And Evangelion is probably the better way of saying it. But in Greek and Roman times, when they would say the word gospel in that day and in that culture, it would, they would use it in connection with the emperor, like Alexander the Great, for example. Alexander the Great was so successful, so young. He came and he went. I mean, he... He lit things up and then the flame went out in no time. But when he would successfully conquer other nations and then they would send messengers back to Greece to tell the people, they would say, gospel, gospel, gospel. And their gospel was the emperor has won. The emperor has defeated the enemy again. And there was a party and there was posters saying gospel, gospel, gospel. Okay. So the emperor has conquered the enemy. Isn't that cool? So that's the... The context, if you know something of what Christ has done for us. And so that's important to know. The next thing in your notes there is simply that the gospel is of first importance. So that's why we're starting with the gospel. Okay, if it's of first importance, we should actually begin with it. Now, when we think about really important news, what do we often think of? We may think of, you got a new job, Jerry, fantastic. Or you're starting a new church, maybe. Let's not say maybe. We're assuming that in the next fall. Uh, you're, someone's pregnant. Isn't that good news? That's important, really good news. Um, but this is the ultimate uh, good news. And can I get someone to read 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 there for us, please? There's probably a few times I'm going to ask various uh, people to uh, read these verses, and it just kind of helps things go along. Very first one? Yes, please. That would be awesome. Yeah. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, <coughs> to, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Three, for I delivered to you as of first importance what, what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Four, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Good stuff. So you see the connection between verse 1, the gospel I preached to you, and then verse 3, of first importance. Then he says, here's the gospel. Christ died for your sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. There it is in just a bullet 
kind of form. And so we would say it is the most important news in the universe. It is the most important news in the universe. That's how big it is to us. Uh, third bullet in your notes as we move on, this news is the very power of God. So it's not just the most important news. We would say it's the most powerful news in the universe. Can I get someone to read Romans 1.16 there for us, please? I'll read it. All right. Uh, Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jews first and also to the Greek. Okay. I want you to underline power of God. Okay. There's a connection between gospel and the very... Uh, power of God. And there's power in the very message. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. Um, and so in your notes, it says the Greek word for power in this verse is the word uh, dunamis. So the New Testament was originally written in ancient Greek. And it was <clears throat> dunamis was the word for power there, which is the same uh, root word for our English word dynamite. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it has dynamite like good power not to destroy things or break up rocks yeah uh, but we're talking about that kind of influence and strength and power is what this gospel news and message has for us now you might ask why why is it so powerful next in your notes the gospel itself here's why it holds the power to drastically change our eternity is the first bullet there that's powerful think about that news that if you believe it or not, has the power to change the rest of your life forever. You know, that's massive. That's how powerful it is. John 3, 16. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whoever believes in him, here it is, should not perish. So in that moment of believing, you're no longer going to hell and perishing, but rather you are now headed for receiving eternal life. So it changes your total direction. And then it also has the power to drastically change our second bullet, life in the here and now. So it's not just by and by forever, you know, in the sky. It's now here in this place is where it has the power to change our lives. Pie in the sky, by and by. I don't know where that's from. Is it a hymn or something? Or it's a saying somewhere. Can I get someone to read Philippians 2, 12 and 13 there for us, please? I will. All right. Okay. Uh, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his, ple his good pleasure. Good stuff. Thank you. Can I get you to circle, uh, work out your own salvation there? And so there's a responsibility that our salvation plays out and has implications for life today. And uh, it's not just heaven, and then I can just sort of go autopilot and do nothing. No, no, no. There's a mission that Jesus wants us to pursue. And part of that mission is working out our own salvation and working out the implications of the gospel. All right, let's move on to A in your notes. Basically, let me phrase it as this way. Ephesians 1.13 says, In him you also, when you heard the, the word of truth, here it is, the gospel of your salvation. So being saved, we're wanting to be saved from something. Okay, and we'll explain what being saved from uh, is a little later. You believed in him. You were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And what I want to share with you now are four key words of the gospel. And these are four words that I'm hoping might be locked and lodged within your own minds uh, so that you can then share the gospel with not yet uh, believing 
people, uh, not yet Christian people in your life. So I have these locked in my mind. When someone says, how can I become a Christian? I think of these four key words, okay? And these are very helpful. It kind of simplifies how to understand and explain the gospel. So the first key word of the gospel starts with God. Everything starts with God. He is the ultimate catalyst for all creation. God is number one in your nose. Who is God? A is simply, he is the sovereign ruler of the universe. <clears throat> That's who he is. He is the sovereign ruler, large and in charge, ultimate and great and all-powerful in every way. Uh, can I get someone else to read 1 Timothy 6, 15, be there and 16 for us, please? Yeah. All right. He who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. Awesome. I want you to underline or circle a sovereign, king of kings, and lord of lords. So king of kings and lord of lords, it's like he's the prime minister of all prime ministers. He's the, the president of all presidents. You know, he's the ultimate world leader. You know, that's how high up and how uh, authoritative he is. There's no one greater than God. And that's really important to know about God. Uh, B aspect uh, about God is that he has always existed and is ageless. Is that there? This might be the problem area, by the way. Has always existed and is ageless. Psalm 90, verse 2, it says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From eternity past to eternity in the future, he has been around. Uh, you know, there's no birthday. Yes, Jesus had his, he came to earth as a baby, but he was everlasting from well before that. And so there's no beginning or end to God. So he's eternal in every way, which again speaks to how great he is. Okay. And the, the third thing about God is see in your notes if this matches up. We'll see. Created? Yeah. Okay. Created? Yeah. All right. Created the heavens and the earth by speaking it into existence. Created the heavens and the earth by speaking it into existence. By the word of the Lord, Psalm 33, 6 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. So he said, let there be light. There was the sun and the moon and the stars eventually. Let there be the earth, the land and the sea and the oceans and the mountains and the creatures and the creeping things that creepeth upon the, the earth. <laughs> okay. All of these things were made simply by him speaking. Think about that. By saying the word and then they came into being. That's just an enormous amount of power and creativity. I mean, who can do that? But the reason I mentioned this point about who God is and what he's like and that he created the heavens and the earth is simply this. If you think about, I don't know, Jerry, are you an artist at all? Do you paint or draw or have <laughs> no, you? I cannot. <laughs> okay. Well, let's imagine you are a great painter and you're painting great, wonderful watercolors of the West Coast and you paint them. And then what do you do at the bottom corner of that? Sign your name. You sign your name. Yeah. Why, why do you do that? To let other people know that I did that. You did that, right? <laughs> so when you when you make something, it denotes ownership. That's what I, my yeah. point is. And so if the, the, the idea is if God made you, he actually owns Jaren. Mm. And that means Jaren is under the authority of God because God made you. Therefore, you should listen to him. And the good part is he loves you. <laughs> Some people wrongly think God enjoys you know doing this yeah. to people and just controlling their lives and making their lives miserable. No, that's not vision of God at all. That's not right. Um, so he owns you. And so you're accountable to God. That's really what I'm trying to say. Okay. So that's important to know in the gospel story. So the first key word of the gospel is God. 
The second keyword of the gospel, number two in your notes, is men. And I should tr- change this to humanity because it's not just men, okay? It's men and women. But for because it's in my notes, I'll just put men. You can put humanity, whatever you want to do there. Um, so he made people. He made Jared. He made Bev. He made us all in this room. And the way in which we are made is very specific and, and very uh, amazing, actually. A in your notes is that you and I are made in the image of God. You are made in God's own image. And the amazing thing is that he made humanity at the top of all creation. as the pinnacle of all that he had made. And can I get someone to read Genesis 1.27 there, please? So God created man in, in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Good stuff. So you see that you are made in God's own image. And what that means is, uh, have you ever seen, um, have you ever looked in the mirror and you said, that nose of mine, that's dad's nose. Or <laughs> that, those crooked teeth, that's from grandma or whatever it happens to be. You know. So basically, you see, I assume, unless you're adopted. So my sister was adopted, but it was amazing how much she looked like our parents. It's funny how that works, you know. Um, and why, why do you look like your parents very often? Because you're made from the genes. Yeah, the DNA of your parents, right? Yeah. And so in that like manner, you when you look in the mirror, you are actually sharing. You're looking at some level of image of God. There's some godlike qualities about you. Obviously, you are not Jerry's not all powerful mm-hmm. and did not make the universe, okay? But there's aspects of Jerry that are godlike, and everybody in this room is godlike, that you share some uh, qualities of God. And so let's take a look at some of these ways in which you are like God. Uh, it means that we are like God. Oh, sorry, sorry about that. In many ways. I'm happy it's empty. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been funny. Yeah. Or, no, it would not have been funny. It was empty. <laughs> we are spiritual and rational beings. Okay, so we can make decisions. We are spiritual and rational. We communicate and establish relationships. Now, animals do communicate as well. But obviously, our form of communication is much more complex, like God's. Okay? And our souls endure eternally. Okay? We don't have a lot of clarity. I got in trouble by saying, dogs don't go to heaven. Well, I don't know that I have anything hard from Scripture to to say that outright. That's my assumption. Maybe it's because I'm not much of a dog person, but anyhow, uh, well, we're different. We have, we have spirits and we are different than all of the rest of anim- the animal kingdom, which is why we're the pinnacle of all creation. Okay. So God has a spirit. He's given Jerry a spirit and a soul. So in that way, we are eternal beings like God. It's amazing. To be under man or humanity, uh, second keyword of the gospel is that you are given authority to rule over God's creation. We have been given authority to rule over God's creation. I need someone to read Genesis one twenty six there, please. Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. Good stuff. And so there's a job for us to do, okay, to manage the earth well. Have we done a great job looking after our planet, would you say? 
Mm. <laughs> <laughs> not really. Yeah. I mean, the plastic in the ocean. I mean, I'm not generally a tree hugger, but the plat is because it's affecting my my beloved sacred salmon. <laughs> yeah. And salmon go after bright, shiny objects like plastics, and of course whales do as well, and everything does. So anyhow, where was I going? Um, we've been given authority, and we are our job is to manage the earth well and protect it. Uh, bullet point there, our authority is derived from God. So how God is over and above all creation, he's given us a little bit of authority to manage this ball of dirt called the earth, and it's, it's, ref, it's reflected. Again, we see God's image in us as we image some of his authority uh, over creation, and it's meant to reflect his own. The third point about humanity in your notes is this. At first, humanity was in perfect harmony with God. So relational harmony, togetherness, unity with God in the Garden of Eden. And this is Adam and Eve, the first parents of all humanity. And it was a wonderful thing. Adam and Eve are described as walking and talking with God, hanging out, connecting, speaking about all that he had made, enjoying his presence with them. And, and some scholars think that that may have been a six-month period of harmony, a year, maybe 18 months. My view is it probably lasted 5, 10, or maybe 20 minutes if we were lucky till we blew everything up. Okay, I don't know why I'm laughing. Uh, D is, so there was harmony until humanity, in your notes, rebelled and sinned against God. And that's really the core issue, rebelling and sinning against God, desiring to become their own gods. That's really the root of sin. Wanting to take God's place. I want to be the God. I want to be large and in charge. I want to be the ultimate <clears throat> authority in my own life. And I'm going to not read that entire section there from Genesis 3, but it, it talks about the serpent who is, that is Satan in a serpent's form, who tempted Adam and Eve. And the main temptation, I want you to look at verse 5 there and circle, you will be like God. Do you see that there? That's the primary temptation. It's not so much the fruit as it is what the fruit might deliver for you, which is you can be like God. God said to them, don't eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you do, you will surely die. Satan comes along saying, no, that's a lie, because God knows if you eat that fruit, you will be just like God. So that was the carrot on the stick, okay? And Eve wanted that, and Adam wanted that as well, and they ate the fruit, therefore they rebelled and sinned against God, and that's where everything went sideways from there on out. E, in your notes, God rightfully cursed. So how did he respond? Well, he, and this sounds harsh, but it's true. He rightfully cursed humanity. The worst of which is physical and spiritual death. And this is the hardest part of the gospel. He rightfully cursed humanity. The worst of which is physical and spiritual death. Two forms of death. Uh, the first form of death is Genesis 3.19. Can I get someone to read that for us, please? I will. Um, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Okay, I want you to underline or circle, to dust you shall return. The cremation is a big thing nowadays, and uh, that's really, literally what happens to you become dust in a container and uh, it, it's just it's there so we are made from those elements and that's how God put us together um, and so that's the consequence for eating the fruit the forbidden fruit and sinning 
so that's physical death. So that's my kids have asked, you know, why do people die? That's been a common question when they were younger. And why does this have to happen, especially when they see multiple grandparents die in the, within the last five or six years? We said it goes back to Genesis 3. Yes, they're saved, they're Christians, but part of the curse, this is part of the curse of sin, and we still have to deal with physical death. Um, but there's also another kind of death, a second kind of death. Uh, Revelation 21.8, I'll just go ahead and read that. As for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the, I want you to circle this, and this may seem weird, but it's there as a warning, the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. The lake that burns with fire and sulfur is the second death, and that would be known as a place called hell, which is the ultimate place of death, the, the worst possible outcome, worst possible destiny for anybody and everybody. Okay, and again, this is part of where sinners go. Now, you might look at that list. You might be saying to yourself, I'm not a coward. I'm not faithless. I'm not, I didn't murder anybody. I'm not detestable. I didn't do any sexual stuff. or I'm not a sorcerer. I'm not an idolater, but then it says all liars. Well, <laughs> that covers off all the rest of us. And I'm sure, I think, if we're saying we're, not, we're only a liar, I think we're lying to ourselves, you know. <laughs> but anyhow, it, we're all in the same boat. So all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Um, so basically, I, the one point I want to say about this is some people make the point, they say, it was just a piece of fruit. It was an oops. I mean, could God not have just forgiven them and said, let's try again. But had God done that, he would have worked against or defiled his own character. Just like a, a, a good parent. Parenting is, is an art form. I mean, it's, it's tough. Um, but if a, a child is at a grocery store and they're pushing, you know, uh, you know, stacks of product over and they're screaming their face off at their mom and dad and they're swearing at the cashier and if the parent does nothing, would you say that that is a good, wise parent? No. No, you would say probably they're not even being or acting like a parent. And if, if God had taken that approach, it would, have, it would not have been helpful for us to know what he is like and what he expects from us and which is actually the best way to live. See what I mean? So to back up his holy character and back up his godness, he had to confront and deal with sin. Okay, so that's important to, to know in this piece of the puzzle. Uh, F in your notes, if you're following along. Because of our direct lineage to Adam and Eve, we also are all cursed sinners by nature and choice. Okay, so we receive some of this sin nature because we're related to our first parents, but we also are responsible for our own sins as well. Okay, let me say that point again. We also are all cursed sinners by nature and and choice. Romans 5.12. Can I get someone to read that as well, please? Yep. <clears throat> Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. You see the connection there? That's pretty clear, isn't it? So you see the one man, that would have been Adam. Adam is Adam and Eve. Adam is responsible. Sin began there, and now there's a spreading because we all find our genetic roots and connections to Adam and Eve, Okay. Death is now spread to all men because all sin. So at this point of the, the good news gospel story, it's kind of depressing. It's like, okay, this is pretty bad. <laughs> uh, none of us are, you know, all of us are tainted with sin, okay? We all sin. We're all responsible. We're all headed for physical and spiritual death. This is not a good outcome. That's the bad news of the gospel. But here comes the good news uh, from the good, for the, or about the good news. And it begins with Christ. 
Christ is the third key word of the gospel. We got God, we got man or humanity. Now we have Christ is number three uh, in your notes. And this is where things get much, much better as we see the rescue plan of God in motion. A in your notes is that God sent Christ to earth out of love to rescue, excuse me, humanity from the curse, to rescue us from our own sins and from our own physical and spiritual death. John 3.16a, for God so loved the world that he gave. Okay, can you circle he gave there? And this is how generous God is. God was not happy with the prospect of being away from you forever. He loved you so much that he sent his beloved only son to earth to save and rescue you and I. Um, it's hard to imagine. Like, I have a son. His name is Isaiah. And to imagine giving up my son for Jerry or for you guys, it's very difficult because I love my son so deeply and truly. Um, but God was willing to do that. That's how much you mean to God, that he was willing to give up his own son, Jesus, um, and then let his own son be horribly treated and undergo probably the worst death in human history for you. That's how much you mean to him. That's an amazing amount of love. Um, so that was the main motivator. B in your notes under Christ is that who is he? He is fully God and fully man. And that's important to, to note. Fully God and fully human, if you prefer. And this is what is known as the hypostatic union. Isn't that, isn't that a great word? We'll use that every day this week. Hypostatic union. Um, but it's just a theological term. It's this mystery of how God, Jesus can be fully God, fully divine, and yet fully human all in one person. And we don't understand it at all. But John 1.1 1, 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. This is Jesus. The Word was with God. And then it says the Word was God. Uh, so he's God. This is God. Um, can I get someone else to read Hebrews 2.17 there for us, please? All right. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiations for the sins of the people. I want you to circle there. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, which means Jesus is our human representative before God. You see, that's why he had to come and become man to be our representative before God, our perfect representative. Okay, does that make sense? Sort of? Yeah. Let's move on to see about Christ. He lived, the. so here's what he did. He lived your perfect life, meeting God's perfection requirement in our place. Jesus lived perfectly for you. Okay, that's part of his love for you. And again, only a God could live perfectly, right? Yeah. But again, he's perfectly, he's fully God, fully man. Uh, someone else to read Romans 5.19 there for us, please. 5.19, for as by one man's, Adam's, disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. There you go. You see the connection with his obedience before God for us in our place? makes us righteous. That's amazing. So when people share the gospel, they often don't mention the ascension, which I don't think we're actually mentioning in this section this time. But they also very often don't mention his perfect life lived for you as your perfect representative and substitute. Okay. Uh, the next one is that he, where are we? D, died the death we should have died in our place uh, for our sins. He died the death we should have died in our place for our sins. So he bore the penalty, the curse of death, which is physical death and spiritual death. He did that for us. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 5, 
I delivered, we read this before, delivered to you as a first importance, which is what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. There it is. Died for our sins. <clears throat> Ye, in your notes, we believe that he absorbed, this is Jesus, he absorbed the wrath of God meant for us by diverting it onto himself. Okay. He absorbed the wrath of God meant for us by diverting it onto himself. So he paid the death penalty for us in our place. Can I get someone to read Hebrews 2.17 there? I think Jerry may have read this just a little short time ago, right? Yeah, he did. Go ahead, uh, somebody. <laughs> Hebrews 2.17. Okay, I'll read it. All right. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make propitiations for the sins of the people. Now, uh, propitiation is a, a very often an unknown, misunderstood kind of word. It simply means appeasement. Appeasement. Uh, Val uh, Valentine's Day is coming, and the analogy I use is that if I forget Valentine's Day and it comes and goes, and I forget to buy my wife some flowers, okay? And is that a good idea, by the way, is it, to forget Valentine's Day? If... It doesn't make a difference in my home. It doesn't? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. More personalized days are better. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, we're sort of, it's a commercial thing to make us spend way higher prices, right? But anyhow, let's imagine I forget and my wife is angry, okay? So there's a lot of anger and wrath there, okay? So what do I do? The 15th, of course, when they're cheaper, it's actually a better idea, perhaps, I don't know. <laughs> I buy two dozen roses. I can buy two dozen for the price of one dozen the day before, give them to Tammy, and how does she react? Well, she's very happy. In fact, she doesn't even remember the anger and the wrath from the day before. So basically, the offering was there, the appeasement offering, or the flowers, if you will. And in a sense, that's Christ was that for us. We're no longer on the outs with God. He bore that punishment and being forsaken by the Father for us in our place. Um, let's move on. Actually, Romans 5.9 says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Isn't that good? He's bore the wrath of God for us. And there it is in Scripture. Let's move on to F under Christ. You ready? The Great Exchange. Martin Luther talks about the Great Exchange. And this is what happened in the work and the actions of Jesus. Uh, for our sake, he made him to be sin. So Jesus personified sin. Isn't that amazing? So every sin you've committed in the past and in the future were placed upon Jesus. And the responsibility for Jerry's sins were placed upon Christ himself, even though he never once sinned. That's so Jesus personified our sins. Uh, where was I? Who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So basically, the great exchange is, imagine a big X here. So Christ's righteousness and our sin were swapped, okay? So we, through what Christ did for us, receive his righteousness. We're now clothed with the righteousness of Christ, and our sin were placed onto Jesus at the cross, were paid for and eliminated and forgiven forever. So now I talk about Jerry. I just I'm right-handed, so and you don't seem to be resisting this too much. So you know Jerry's wearing clothes. We're all grateful, but spiritually you are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. Yeah. If you're in Christ, if you're a believer in Him, God looks at you. Does He see Jerry's sin, even though he still sins? No, He does not. He sees the righteousness and the perfection of Jesus. You're now His child. Your sins have been paid for. Isn't that amazing? We don't deserve any of this, but this is the great exchange that, that has occurred thanks to 
the Martin Luther giving us that analogy from Scripture. G in your notes, as we're trying to come in for a landing on the gospel story here, is that God the Father then raised. So Jesus, had he stayed dead, we would not be saved. G, God the Father raised Jesus from death to defeat our sin, death, and enemy, Satan. God raised God the Father raised Jesus from death to defeat our sin, our death, and enemy Satan. So it's the proof of victory that Christ's cross did something amazing for us. Had Jesus stayed dead, nothing would be accomplished, but he rose again, and it's his <clears throat> proof of victory. Sin, what do you have in your notes there? So that, those are the three words I want you to write down. Sin, Sin then death, and then Satan. Satan. Do you see how that works under yeah. G? Okay, so the first bullet there is sin. Oh, yeah, here? Yeah, sin. that's right. See that? Then death. <laughs> and then Satan here. And then Satan, that's right. Okay. Let me, actually, can I get someone to read Romans 6, 6 there for us, please? Yep. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. All right. And that means our lives are no longer dominated by the power of sin. Our lives are no longer dominated by the power of sin. So there, yes, you still will sin, but there's, you're sinning less as your Christian life goes on. And by the grace of God and his help and power, you're gaining victory over addiction in your life. It's a wonderful thing. Um, death, I won't uh, speak more about that. The great thing, if you're in Christ, you will rise again. Just like Jesus rose from the dead, Jerry will rise again from the dead as well. And then Satan, let me read that. To, actually, can I get somebody to read Hebrews 2.14 there for us, please? I will. <clears throat> Since therefore, <clears throat> excuse me, I got a broke. <laughs> Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. All right, so there it is. Jesus destroyed the power of death and the one who has that power, and that is the devil. So that is great news, okay? This is good stuff. Now, you might think, fantastic, okay? We, we sinned again. He made us. We're accountable to God, but we sinned. We screwed it up, but thanks be to God, he sent Jesus on a rescue mission to save us from ourselves. Done. No, 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 it's not done. The fourth key word of the gospel is response. The fourth key word, number four, is response. It's not enough to just know what Jesus did. He demands that we respond to him in three ways, okay? And there's A, B, and C in your notes under response. The first response is repentance. Now, there's a lot of religious baggage associated with the word repentance, but it's actually not a, a, a foggy kind of word. Um, Mark 1.14, this is important to Jesus that we repent towards God. Can I read that for us? Yeah. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Here he says, repent and believe in the gospel. So in your notes, the Greek word used in the New Testament for repentance is the word metanoia. It literally means to have another mind or a change of mind. Have another mind or a change of mind. Now, that's not just... Okay, I'll eat Cheetos this morning instead of bacon. Like a change, you change your mind. <laughs> Please don't do that. Uh, uh, but it, it's more 
I'm completely changing my mind on the direction of my life. That's what it is. It's the biggest decision you can make. Okay. So it's not just, oh, I changed my mind from, you know, steak to bacon. Um, so here's what repentance means or changing your mind. It means choosing to turn your back on living a sinful, autonomous, self-sufficient, basically where your boss, no, you're saying no to that, and instead following and obeying Jesus and surrendering your life and agenda to him. That's the long version of what repentance is, but it's turning away from me being in charge of my life to now Jesus is in charge of my life. He's my boss, Lord, Master, God, and King. And that's repentance in a nutshell. It doesn't mean, you know, we'll never sin. Yes, we will. But as we trust in him, we're saying no to living a life of sin and being dominated by the power of sin. That's repentance. Second response to Jesus is faith. That's B in your notes. Faith is the key second response towards Jesus. Uh, can I get someone to read Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 there for us, please? I will do. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, 8. By, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. Can I get you to circle uh, through faith there, please? Okay. And then it says, Acts 10 to 43, To him, Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that, here it is. Actually, please underline the rest of this verse from everyone on. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's pretty clear. We've got to have faith in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in what he's done for us. In your notes, bullet says, faith and believing in the Bible means much more than just simply giving Jesus intellectual assent. So I've encountered a lot of people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian. You know, I was raised in a Christian home. I'm a Christian. I like Jesus. I like the fact that he likes the poor. He's fantastic. You know, I believe in him. That's what they would say. But it's more than that. Um, it's just like my daughter, Victoria. So my analogy is this. My daughter, Victoria, doesn't just believe that uh, I'm her dad in her head. No, she knows that I'm her dad because of the relationship that we have. Okay, it's a very relational, connecting kind of word. Um, and because she knows me, she listens to and wants to, you know, generally obey dad and mom, uh, which is good. Um, so it's more than intellectual assent. So in your notes, the next bullet, biblical faith means to totally surrender. And you're going to do this imperfectly. So I don't want to put this huge burden on you. Okay, I got to totally surrender or else we're going to do this very imperfectly. But that's what faith means in Jesus. Totally surrender, fully trust Jesus with your entire being. And that your salvation comes through Him alone. You're not going to save yourself by good works or doing good deeds. Okay, no, He's already done all the doing. Now we just follow, trust, and obey Jesus. It means to totally surrender with your entire being and trust that your salvation is through Him alone. Further, as we move on, <laughs> we are not saved by any of our own good deeds or works. We do not justify ourselves at all. So Bev is not saving herself. Okay, there's none of that going on. And Jesus is alone has done all the saving. It's therefore, he gets all the credit, all the worship, all the glory, okay, because of his cross. Um, so that's important. So repentance is the first response to Jesus to become a Christian, then faith, and then baptism is C in your notes. And this can be somewhat controversial. But we are big on baptism. You may have noticed this at Mercy Hill. Uh, we 
emphasize believer baptism, and that is being baptized by your own choice. Uh, Acts 2.38. Can I get someone else to read that for us, please? Acts 2.38. And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Thank you. I want you to underline or circle, Be Baptized. And then I want you to circle every one of you. <laughs> so everyone who trusts in Jesus, who repents of your sins, who places your faith in the gospel, every one of you who does that will receive forgiveness of sins and the <clears throat> gift of the Holy Spirit, basically new spiritual birth. Okay. And so that's, that's, it's not this optional thing. It's, it, that's a command. Okay. From God through Peter, the apostle. So I'm going to do this fairly quickly or try to, hopefully no more than seven minutes and we'll be done. So I'll see what happens here. <laughs> and uh, I don't know what you have. Do you have blanks there still? Yeah, you do. Okay, I'll, you ready for this? There's going to be even more water coming at you to try to drink in somewhat. But why be baptized? Simply to follow Christ's example. All right. Mark 1.9 says, if Jesus, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John. So if Jesus did it and he never sinned, and he commands us to do it. If I, why wouldn't I do it? He did it. I should do it as well. He is our leader. He is my boss. I'm going to be baptized as he did. A lot of Christians will say, or people who have not been baptized, it's unnecessary. I don't need to do this. We would say if it was important to Jesus and he did it, it should be important to you as well as his follower. Okay, And that's what we say about that. Next reason to be baptized, I guess I've already said this, but because Jesus commands us to. Uh, baptism is is a command from Jesus for you to undergo. Uh, I want I'm not going to read that, but I want you to circle or underline baptizing them. So he is telling his own disciples to make disciples, make more disciples, and then baptize them. Okay, so it's not an optional thing. These are these are parting words. Okay, and final words from Jesus before he goes back to heaven, and he means business here. And that's those are very important words. That's a command for us to be baptized. Why baptism by immersion? Okay, so this is where the controversy comes in. Because there's people from different backgrounds, okay? If you're a Catholic background, typically you would have been sprinkled as a baby. Yep. Uh, or Lutheran or Presbyterian background. That can be the case as an Anglican for that matter. Um, some Mennonite traditions do the pouring, okay, at uh, age 13. It's almost a confirmation kind of thing. Um, and then there's other churches like us that do full immersion, okay? And so we are that pro-immersion church, okay, that's out there. And uh, now, Jerry, were you sprinkled as a baby? Yeah, I was. Okay, and then were you and immersed then later? I was immersed later. You were, yeah. Okay, gotcha. So uh, we've seen that a lot at West Coast, and uh, it's, a, it's a great thing. Um, so it, basically in your notes, why by immersion, which is the dunk method, because Jesus was baptized that way. That's the pattern we see. All right. So Matthew 3.16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. So he was dunked and then he came up out of the water and then up out of the river as well. Further, every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. That can be controversial for some, but I would challenge that and say, find me any instances of sprinkling. There's just none, okay? Every baptism in the Bible was by immersion. Let me just read these that bullet there, okay? Does yours still say West Coast or is it Mercy Hill? Mercy Hill. Oh, good. I <laughs> actually changed that one. So at Mercy Hill, we simply try to do things the way we find them in the Bible. 
Okay, And so because the baptisms that take place in the Bible were by immersion underwater, that's simply and really the only reason why we do it that way as well. Okay, So we're not trying to prove a point. We're just trying to just do it the way Jesus did it and the way that we were instructed to do it in the New Testament. Acts 8, uh, 38 and 39. Uh, what I want you to do is just circle went down into the water. Do you see that there? Yeah. This is Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Just circle went down into the water. So they saw some water. They went down into the water. And in 39, I want you to circle, came up out of the water. Okay? <laughs> so there's, a, there's an immersion going on there. Okay? Went down into the water, came up out of the water. He was baptized, fully immersed. Further, in your notes, the word baptized means to dip under. To dip under. It's a transliterated word from the ancient Greek. That's what baptized means. No other possible interpretation of the Greek word. Uh, the Greek word baptizo means to dip under water. We look at Alexander the Great. I mentioned him earlier today. And there were some naval battles that were going on in the Mediterranean at that time. And when a ship was you know, blasted and destroyed and it would be sunk, what would they describe that ship as being? Baptizoed. Baptized. Why? Because it was on the bottom of the ocean, okay? Fully dipped. And that's literally what that word means. There's no sprinkling aspect to it. Further, it was supported by this idea of immersion by several key church leaders. Uh, the first two, if not three, were actually, they practiced some sprinkling as well. So it doesn't actually add up. But, but funnily enough, they supported immersion. Martin Luther said, I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed, as the word imports and the mystery signifies. John Calvin, the word baptize signifies to immerse. It is certain that immersion was the practice of the ancient church. And then John Wesley, he's one of my favorites, buried with him, alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first uh, church. So these are major church figures, and they were in support of immersion as well. Who should be baptized in your notes? Every person who believes in Christ, we would say. Every person who believes in Christ are you ready for more water out of the fire hydrant? Here we go. In the Bible, belief and baptism always go together. Okay? Belief and baptism always go together. Belief in Jesus, that is. Further, there's not one instance in the Bible of baptizing unbelievers or baptizing infants. We don't see any of that going on scripturally. Further, there's no evidence in the Bible of someone who didn't believe or someone who wasn't old enough to believe being baptized. We just don't see that clearly at all. Acts 2.41a says, So those who received his word were baptized. Okay, so there's a connection between receiving his word and being baptized. Acts 8.13a, Simon himself, here it is, he believed. And after being baptized, you see that connection again? You know, it just makes sense, just logical sense, right? Um, but we don't mean any disrespect to the infant tradition. Okay, that's out there. Um, you won't receive any judgment from this church. Uh, when should I be baptized is the next question. And in your notes, soon after you repent and believe in Jesus. We would say soon after, but better late than never. <laughs> uh, I think about Al Boyvin. Al, it's amazing what God's done in his life. And he had a very strong Catholic background. And eventually it was like the, the stone, the brick wall was kind of being beat down just through us preaching and uh, him experienced the lo love of Christ through this church family. And he, eventually he came to the point where he's like, he, oh, he came to membership class. That's what it was just like this. And he realized, okay, 
I better be baptized and dunked by my own choice, you know. And he's, he, at the time, he was 72 years old. It was, it was amazing. And uh, it was such a thrill to, to see him do that. Um, so anyhow, here's the pattern. Acts 2.41, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day. I want you to circle that day. So they didn't wait for weeks or months. They did it that day. Okay, now we're not legalistic, okay? We're not that church. You better get dunked because you might have a car accident on the way home from church today. You know, we're not that church. But the point is, it was important, and they didn't make a huge delay. They just they just did it, okay? 3,000, wouldn't that be amazing? 3,000 people yeah. baptized on the same day. And then we see the same thing with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch there. Uh, basically, the eunuch is hearing the gospel about Jesus, and they're driving along, and he sees some water over there, and they say, stop the chariot. I want to be baptized right now. And so there wasn't that delay. And we would simply suggest we can arrange a baptism Sunday as quick as next Sunday if you want it to, to be that quick. Again, we're not legalistic on these things. Um, but uh, that's, that's what we're willing and happy to do. We, of course, we love baptism Sundays. It's one of my favorite things. Uh, we've seen something like uh, 82 people baptized since we started, which on one hand, you might think only 82 in 12 years, but... Uh, most of those happen within four years. Yeah, as long as they have the heat on that day. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I finally got a response. So we're supposed to have heat today. Did anyone notice? Yeah, that's what I meant. Oh, good. Praise God. <laughs> so anyhow, um, that's... Uh, where was I? Anyhow. Sorry. Oh, that's okay. That, that's, that's, we have heat. We have hot water. So that's, that's a good thing. At least we have hot water. Uh, that helps a lot. So... If you have any questions about the baptism thing, please talk to me. And then we're going to meet in two weeks from today. So not next Sunday, but two weeks. Jerry may not be here. I'm not sure yet. You yeah. may, so that'll be up in the air. Lynette will not be here. Jared will not be here. It might be Bev and Angela. And, and maybe Gloria. Maybe Gloria will yeah. come. Maybe I will just share with her. Or Yeah, yeah. Just have her read that. Or, with session one again. Or, or, or she can listen to this. Yeah, I can make this available to you. You know what? I'll better stop.